done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord, that you may know. You know, so as God is judging uh, Egypt and uh, taking them through these, uh, you know, awful things that I'd never want to experience and none of us here would ever want to experience, the Lord is, is, is teaching them a lesson, Egypt a lesson, but he's also showing himself strong to the children of Israel uh, who had not had anybody defending them. And now they have God defending them and God taking care of uh, their their oppressors. So, um, you know, God tells them to go into Pharaoh yet again. And uh, God says that I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. So uh, as we discussed before, the hard heart being further hardened uh, for God's will to be revealed and accomplished. They were being judged for the oppression of Israel and for the murder uh, that was committed against Israel. So um, if if we if we don't know the context of what is said there, where it says God hardened their hearts, our faith can be totally led astray, uh, or somebody else's. You know, and and uh, you know when, before I understood everything that that and not that I understand everything that's in the scriptures. I mean, my goodness, what I know now, I and I pray the Lord just continues to reveal, and I know He will, but. <clears throat> As we grow in our faith, we understand more, right? We know the word more. We understand more because of our experience, and God has showed himself strong. And what we're seeing here is that the Lord, yes, would harden him to carry out his judgments against Egypt, but also to show himself strong to Israel, to show himself strong to us, uh, that Israel didn't have to do anything that God fought their battles and won all those things. All they had to do was trust him and be obedient. And we'll see that here as we continue through. So he says that I may show these signs of mine before him. You know, he, uh, Pharaoh needed to learn that he was not God and, and he needed to learn that the Lord, the God of Israel is God. Uh, you know, he had been groomed his whole life. Um, to, and, and told that he was a son of the gods, which means he was a god himself. So, uh, you know, when you hear that, uh, it'd be really hard for somebody who's being served all the time and being treated as a god to say, but I'm just a man, right? Because they get addicted to that worship. They get addicted uh, to the service. They get addicted to the power and, and uh, you know, all these things that they have. So, uh, you know, they start believing that. Have you ever have you ever been around somebody so much that when they tell a lie, they lie so much that they start believing their own lies? Uh, maybe experience that in your life and you're like, I don't know how they think this happened because they know they fabricated that, but now they actually believe it. You know, they get to that point. You know, he was believing the lies that, that he was, uh, you know, a God himself. And uh, because he had, he had, physical control of people and how did he control them by force by intimidation and uh so it's 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 quite uh, interesting to watch uh, what we see unfolding and and how that uh how it speaks to his servants too right because when, by the time we get uh, deep into our study tonight we're going to see the servants are starting to turn on him too so you know, uh, it says here to strengthen the faith of the, the, the what we see here where he says, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son, uh, the mighty things that I've done in them. Why would you do that? To strengthen the faith, to establish faith and to strengthen the faith of the coming generations. So what God is saying is I'm doing something here for you to be able to speak to your children about. Now, um, uh, if we've uh, raise children in uh, as as Christians will understand what this means, right? Because uh, we've we've had the opportunity to say, "Hey, we go to church for these reasons. This is why I'm going to church." Um, we can share this with coworkers, with family members, whatever it is, where we can say, "I believe in God," and and when I see what God did on behalf of His children, and you know, using these types of examples. Uh, we're, we're actually able to pass that along to them too. You know, they can accept it or reject it, but, but uh, you know, we're passing it along as much as we can. So, uh, but it's also speaking of responsibility from uh, on uh, Moses uh, for him to make sure his family know what God did to spread the word inside his home. 
You know, it's it's one thing to uh, to come to church, but if we're leaving church and we're not discussing things or we're not reinforcing what we learn in the scripture uh, in conversation and uh, in examples. Now, we most likely, um, uh, and some people do, but most likely uh, people aren't sitting down and having a whole Bible study with their family at home. I, I say most likely, probably. I'll just say that. Um. And, and that may not be, you know, a full-on, okay, everybody sit down, open up to this, and we're going to do a Bible study through this. Uh, it can often be, like it says in the scripture, as we're walking by the way, as we're just spending time together, and be like, hey, check out that dragonfly. Look at that thing. You know, when you think of how complex the dragonfly is, and that militaries have tried to figure out how does this thing fly like this. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing, it's my favorite insect by far. You know, uh, you guys ever watch dragonflies and like uh, and when it's turning in the evening and they start eating bugs? Those things are all over the place and they're they're up, down, left, right, backwards, forward. They're they can they can fly just like they're they're crazy. That what an incredible design and be able to have you ever like put your hand out and had a dragonfly land on it? It's so cool when that has happened, right? Or you know, if it lands on my shoulder or something, it's a little intimidating because you're like, is this thing gonna bite a chunk out of my hand or anything? But if you can get over the weirdness of having a big bug on you, it is so cool to look at it and and in amazement and look how God built that thing to fly perfectly, right? That wasn't it. Was, uh, don't get me started. But on uh, you know, with the uh, with evolution, you know. How, how would something tell itself that it needs to change? That's stupid, right? If we could do that, why would we die? Right? Without, without all kinds of you know, re, uh, regeneration medication and all this stuff and everything, what we have within us is you know, when, we, when we're born, there's a time that we're going to come to our end because our body will fail us for one reason or another. You know, but but to consider when you, uh, you know, if evolution was true and we can just will that things would happen, I can tell you now I'd have wings, and I'd want to fly, right? Because that would be awesome, you know. And 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 we'd go, oh, that would. But what they're saying is over billions and trillions of years, you know. Okay, then why do we all have ten fingers, ten toes? I did know a kid in school that had six fingers on each side. That was pretty crazy, but. But, you know, just think of, of how complex we are and, and, and to think of, uh, like I said, the dragonfly. And for somebody to say that thing just became over billions of years or whatever, that thing is awesome. And that thing was made by a, a, a genius of a god. And I don't know what other word to use with that, but a genius of a god that said, you know what, I'm going to make this thing just a machine. And it's going around and to watch that thing. And have a conversation with somebody and be like, look at the design of this thing. Isn't God incredible? Just having, just doing that is, uh, just think of how effective that is. You know, rather than, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to read three chapters today, and we're going to talk it in your five-year-olds looking at you like, what? You know, but take those opportunities to teach about God and say, you know, God made this and God made that. Look at the stars and, you know, oh, well, hey, it's raining today. We must need rain. Rain's important. Just just showing all these things and, and being able to describe those things. Just be able to share. God is saying that your son and your son's sons would know, that you can tell them about how great I am and how uh, powerfully I, I delivered them and I worked uh, on their behalf. You know, and what you'd want is that for, for that to spark believing faith in him, uh, in their hearts, that God fought for them, he defended them, and he delivered them, right? And he wants them to speak of the mighty things that he had done for them in Egypt, for Israel and against their oppressors. When you're looking at, at that verse there, signs which God had done. You know, God did these things. You know, they weren't freakish things from nature that there was some weird biological or, or uh, environmental explanation like, oh, well, you got a bunch of wind, so here come all the locusts uh, naturally. You know, no, this was a, a, a plague, and we'll see as we get in there, uh, that this was, was most definitely uh, orchestrated by the God of all creation. And he says that you may know that I am the Lord. Moses, his family, all of Israel, us uh, this evening as we're studying here. Because God did it for his children. 
we are adopted by God, and uh, we are new creations in him. He is our father now, and uh, we can look and go, God does this for us, that he, that he would free us from what would oppress us, and he fights the battles for us. You know, and, and he says, it says here what God has done, uh, you know, is what he's pointing to, what God has done regarding um, their oppressors. And as I said, we can share uh, with those around us, that we could share with family members, with, with friends, you know, what God has done for us, that they might come to a belief uh, and, and say, hey, I know, you know, you may be skeptical or whatever, but I want to introduce you to the same God that delivered me from this sin, that sin, this lifestyle, whatever it is, and, uh, and just speak of the, the victory that we have in Christ. Verse 3 says, So Moses and Aaron came in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. So clearly stating that the Lord, Yahweh, uh, uh, the God of the Hebrews, demands haven't changed. The, the demand was, let my people go. And uh, the, the, over all these plagues, it hasn't changed. God hasn't, hasn't compromised what he said, he, what he expected. God, what God has expected is the same expectation here. So it's not like, hey, you, you've had a little rough and everything, so I'm just going to tell you, no, God is saying, let my people go and, and set them free. God meant business. And uh, they, they might have hoped that they had weathered the worst of the storms that were coming, uh, but unfortunately for them, the worst was yet to come. And, you know, God is addressing here the refusal in Pharaoh's heart to humble himself. Uh, he was accustomed, as we talked about, to being worshipped, and he's, he's not accustomed to submitting himself to anyone. So uh, where he believes himself to be a god, for him to submit himself to a god that's unknown, um, that's revealing himself mightily uh, through these plagues, is still a tough thing for him that he can't do. Because he's still too afraid to let Israel go. Verse 4. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up uh, for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he, he turned and went out from Pharaoh. So this is another time of God offering a choice, obedience or disobedience. You know, obedience means you don't have to put up with this. You can be delivered from this. Disobedience means you're going to face the punishment, the judgment coming your way. So then uh, what is revealed is that locusts would come, that they would cover the face of the earth like you've never seen. You won't be able to see the earth just locusts. Now, um, have you ever looked up, so this week I looked up videos of locusts going in mass. It's crazy. Um, the, uh, what, uh, so as, as they go, uh, you'll see people just like, ah, and they're, they're, they're covering their eyes or whatever, and, and they go with the wind, wherever that wind is going, and they're, as they're going, and they're swarmed all over. But you can see, like what I've seen on TV, you can see, like, uh, uh, you know, as I'm watching these videos, you can see like, oh, there's the sky. There's all these things. This was a total blackout of locusts, right? Everywhere. And when locusts fly, they also make noise. So consider when you have these things and, and uh, what's being said here is that they're going to fill your house, your servant's house, and all the Egyptians, you know, um, but not on the children of Israel, though. But the damage they can do, the wiping out of all the vegetation when they come here. They're going to eat everything. So whatever was left over from the hail, that's all going to be eaten. And like I said, they make this loud buzz uh, while they're uh, while they're uh, flying, and it's it it would be deafening, uh, even in in uh, the swarms that you can see, just so loud. But when when you're considering that you can't even see just just how many uh, that might be, the the ones that in just some research uh, that I found is that. 
um, you know, a, a locust swarm can contain as many as 150 million locusts in a square mile. That's 150 million more than I care to be, you know, being plagued by, right? 150 million of them in a square mile. That's a lot of locusts that are going to come into Egypt and plague them. And that's a, that's, that's a very loud sound. And the sound is called, a, uh, called stridulation. And it's when locusts rub one part of their body against another. So consider, you have innumerable amount of these things that are coming so that it's even going to, to cover the face of the earth so no one will be able to see the earth. Think of how loud that is, right? You ever notice, like, um, like we probably can't hear uh, the light bulbs right now, but when I was in um, uh, communication school, one of my uh, instructors uh, just had everybody be quiet. Now you can hear the buzz, right? But normally we don't hear that buzz. But if you have a bunch of lights, you start hearing it. Have you ever been to, like, ever watch, like, these big lights for, uh, like, a football field get turned on? You know, after a while, you don't even hear it anymore. Consider you can't escape this innumerable, uh, innumerable amount of, of locusts flying everywhere. They're everywhere. You can't hear. You can't even see. And there's no escape from them. They're in your house. It just this is this is uh, frightening to think of. You know, there's already devastation in the land, and whatever's left is going to be taken out. The hail had taken everything else out, so the locusts are going to eat whatever residue is left, and uh, every tree which grows in the field, everything's going to be barren. It's going to be just stripped bare. So all of the the plenty that they had enjoyed uh, in Egypt. Uh, that, uh, you know, they had uh, most certainly benefited. They had even had, you know, slaves working for them and taking care of and, and providing for them. And uh, now it's going right to a, a barren land. And God had blessed them bountifully in the days of Joseph, uh, Joseph. And now this is what they've been reduced to. Now, if we're considering, as we've talked about, Egypt as a picture of sin, you know, consider the, the, how we've lived bountifully in our lives and how sin has stripped us bare. And those, those things that have happened in our lives when we've sought ourselves and, and uh, the, the consequences that have come as a result of us being in rebellion to God's word and, and seeking our own will and, and living in sin. Look what it does. It leaves us bare. You know, you know, uh, it's, it, unfortunate that even when things are, are this bad, we'll still harden our heart uh, instead of repenting. Now, some of us repented earlier, right? Some of us didn't have to. They're not, we're not as stiff-necked and hard-hearted as others. Uh, you know, others uh, may be uh, more uh, stubborn about turning uh, from our sin uh, than others, you know, and, and some people may be able to say, you know what, I, I got saved one day and uh, you know, that, that's just appetite for that left. And then others, they've got to grind it out. God has to show them the weakness that they have. And he needs to show them that they need to completely rely upon him. They, they, those specific people, uh, those of us that need that, that reminder, this has to come out that, that it would cause us to completely rely upon the Lord even more because that's what we need. God ministers to us differently, right? Uh, if you think of, uh, I can just think, you know, Jen and I have three daughters at home. Each one of them is such a complete different person. They have the same parents. They're built in. The, they, they're built. They live in the same house. They ride in the same cars. They come to the same church. They're from the same town. They have, but they're completely different. They learn differently. Uh, they act differently. There are all those things, right? So we need to, you know, God works in each one of us individually. If if we might, because we might get to a point of pride and frustration, right? Where we're like, well, I just did this and God delivered me here. Why can't everybody else be there? You know, consider smoking, okay? Think of smoking and how addictive nicotine is, right? I've heard some people say, my dad smoked for 40 years and quit cold turkey one day. Done. How come you can't do that, Right? The, uh, the chemicals that are in that are so highly addictive, right? Some people can do it. Some people can't, right? We can't just say, well, this person did it. So everybody, sometimes it's going to take more people just crying out. They have to get to a different point of brokenness over whatever they're dealing with. And God shows them in our brokenness, right? In our weakness that he is strong, 
And that's and we might see that some might learn it quicker than others, but um, he wants us uh, to uh, to let him uh, do the work. You know, Moses. Uh, so what's interesting here, if you if you back up uh, at the end of verse six, it says, "And he turned and went out from Pharaoh." So Moses said what he needed to say, and he left. There's an important uh, there's an important uh, ministry lesson there that when God tells us to do something, go do that or go say that and leave it at that. That's it. You know that you know sometimes we're led uh, by God to say something, to deliver a message, to do something, uh, to share something from the scriptures, and let other people process that. Say, hey. God has spoken to me. Like, and you guys know. I mean, some people can get really weird with. Uh, ever they just seem to have a revelation all the time, and they want to be the one, the counselor for everybody. But you guys know the the true like a brother or sister walking up to you and saying, "Hey, God put you on my heart," and, and as I was praying for you, and and I don't know where this came from, uh, other than to describe. I think the Lord wants me to share this with you, right? Then we can look at that, and that. But that's it. We don't have to sit there and go. Well, God shared that with, with you, so so now you have to tell me everything. Like, no, that's between them and God at that point. When the message is delivered or whatever is done, then that's between that person and God. And you just let them go. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad thing to check in. Hey, how you doing? You know, has, has, uh, you know what has that resulted in and stuff like that? But they're not now accountable to us. They're accountable to the Lord. So, you know, and we also don't want to uh, discourage somebody. Like I said earlier, like, hey, didn't I tell you? I showed you this scripture. Doesn't it just make sense? You know, sometimes God's got to work it out of somebody, right? Sometimes it's not as easy as just picking up the Bible, reading it, and, and going, okay, that's it. You know, there's, sometimes it's going to be a process. It's going to be hard. And we're, we're going to have to learn to submit our will to God. You know, that verse or, you know, that passage, that chapter, that book, whatever, may be what that person needs or what we need, right? And we need to learn submission to God's will, right? Where here's the answer, and this is how you get there, right? So, uh, you know, God God works it out. You know, our job is just to do what God tells us to do, move on, and let God's word do the work, right? We, can, we can't minister to anybody um, any better than the word of God can. So verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let uh, let us, uh, sorry, let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not uh, know that Egypt is destroyed? So Pharaoh's servants have had it. Uh, they're tired of the plagues. Now they're contending with him. And so there's an internal uh, fighting that's starting to take place here. They're starting to rebel against Pharaoh. Now this is a big deal uh, because this could have meant the end of their lives. But I, uh, what I'm led to believe is, is these servants are the ones that he would have called to do this. And they're all just saying, look, man, you know, we're tired of frogs and lice and, you know, flies and all this stuff. Why don't we just let, let this happen here? And, you know, so now they're contending with him. And have you ever watched a sports team or been a part of a sports team when they start struggling and they start turning on each other? It's ugly, isn't it? When you see somebody, they're getting so frustrated. Like, you need to do your job, and you're not, nah, 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 nah. I'm doing what I can. You focus on that, and I'll focus on the. And it just, it's internal, and they've already lost. That's it. There's no comeback that's going to happen at that point. They've fallen apart, and all they're thinking about is how mad they are, right? You know, this is, uh, you know, on such a, a, a higher and, and deeper level than what's going on here. You know, but what's funny is they didn't say this after the first plague. They didn't say it after the second or third. Like, there's seven plagues deep into this. And then finally they say something. And they're like, hey, man, this is, you know, how long is this going to be a snare to us? Consider the snare, uh, the, the, literally the word means a noose for catching or a hook for a nose. Neither of them sound appealing, right? How long are we going to let this guy drag us through this? Like, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, are, are you aware that there's destruction in Egypt? Like, We've got nothing left, and now we hear locusts are going to come and take whatever is left. It's going to be everything's going to be devastated even more. So Moses and Aaron, uh, verse eight. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, "Go serve the Lord your God. Uh, who are uh, who are the ones going uh, that are going? And 
Moses said, We will go with our young, with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. He's saying, No way. You better hope. Like, what are you, you guys are crazy. You know, the Lord's the only one that's going to save you, right? I mean, this guy is not getting it, right? If uh, let you, uh, you and your little ones go, beware for evil is ahead of you. Like, it's coming for you guys. He says, not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, uh, which is Yahweh, L-O-R-D, capitalized. Uh, for uh, that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh had enough. He told him what he wanted to tell them, and he says, get out of here. So for a short time, it seems like Pharaoh might have learned uh, and listened, right? You know, Pharaoh's like, all right, I'm going to let you guys go. But who's going? Right. And uh, it changes quickly when Moses and Aaron tell him, no, everybody's going. We're all packing up men, women, children, flocks, herds. All of us, we're leaving and we're going to go do this. And it all changes and not what he wanted to hear. He's already bugged and everyone's already turning on him. And he's been through the plagues, didn't want to uh, want to even see these guys. But he has them brought back in because of what's going on with all his servants and now he hears something he doesn't want to hear, and he's angry, and, and he's telling them, the Lord had better be with you. This is Pharaoh telling him that there's an evil plot that you have to secure your freedom, and there's no way I'm going to let this go. There's no way you guys are all going here. You know, Basically, if we want to sum it up, he's like, over my dead body, and uh, you know, I, could, I should kill you right now. It's that type of, of anger that he has. Here and you know he uh, Pharaoh understood he needed leverage to bring them back. And he's like, "There's no way you're taking the women and children and all the flocks and her. you're not coming back. That's not going to happen here." He says, "Not so. Go now, men, and serve uh, serve the Lord." So then they're driven from his presence, and um, you know uh, because he knew that uh, that he he would lose the leverage. So verse twelve. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt." Uh, for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that uh, that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. So it was uh, that morning. The east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. When it says went up over all the land, are you? am I the only one that sees like this massive thing coming up over a hill? Right. <laughs> That's what I see is this as the wind is coming to, whoo, and it's just, uh, you, you can't even see through them. So sorry to put that break on there, but that's what comes to mind. Uh, in the middle of 14, it says they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, uh, as they, nor shall uh, there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth and uh, so that the land was darkened, that they and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. I mean, that's bad. That's, oh, just to think, all that stuff we already talked about, how bad that's going to be. And now that east wind blew all night, and in the morning, here they came. And, and, and it's, it's awful for them. God told Moses right here to stretch out his hand and look what happened. You know, when, when the morning came, these guys came and it says it's very severe that they covered the whole earth. The land was darkened, you know, that they, they would even cover the light. It was just, it's hard to fathom that it, re it really is. So, you know, everybody's eyes would even be closed, right? You know, when you see something like that, you're just like, oh, and you're trying to do one of those things because they're flying around everywhere. What an awful situation. And it says that they ate every herb and fruit that the, that the uh, hail did not destroy. So now there's nothing green left on the trees or plants throughout all the land of Egypt. And that they're experiencing that deafening noise uh, uh, that we had talked about earlier. Verse 16, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once <laughs> and entreat 
the Lord your God, that he may take away uh, from me this death only. And, uh, you know, in haste, is a hurry up and get over here. Like, just screaming, go get Moses and Aaron. You know, they've, they've got uh, Pharaoh's attention here. And uh, again, just like with the hail, uh, he says, I have sinned. Yes, you have. Uh, but what we see here is the same. It's a regret because of the unfortunate consequences um, of the hardness of his heart. And uh, this isn't remorse and brokenness and repentance, you know, over his actions. Uh, this is uh, just a regret for what they're dealing with. And he just wants this torture to end and this plague to end. And he asked that Moses and Aaron would intercede for him again, you know, just to get things uh, to stop. He's at that point, like we discussed last week. I don't care what I need to say or do. Would you just please make it stop? That's where he's at. Because if he was at a point of repentance, he'd be broken on his knees and saying, what have I done? And crying out saying, I have sinned against the Lord. Lord, will you please forgive me? Change my heart. Make me new. All those things. All he wanted was for this to stop. Moses and Aaron knew the game. They uh, were uh, aware of this. And, you know, so this, uh, when he's asking them to intercede for him, uh, it's not because of a change of heart. It's, it's literally that mindset. I'll do anything you ask uh, until I get my desired result. And then I'm going right back. So verse 18. So he went out from Pharaoh and, and treated the Lord and the Lord turned uh, a very strong west wind, which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea, there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children uh, of Israel go. So they did. They went and interceded for Pharaoh. So God, in his mercy, called off the locusts. You know, consider the, the power that God has over creation. Just in, in what we've talked about in our study, beginning at, at Genesis, that he created it by, by his word. And what he said would happen would happen, right? He 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 set the stars and, and the sky and the moon and and, and uh, the sun, and he created man. Let us make man in our image. That the by the word of God he created the heavens and the earth, right? And then as uh, Moses entreats the Lord, goes and intercedes for them, God just stops everything that's happening, brings a western wind. Uh, westward wind, and he blows all of them right out to sea. Look look carefully, though. Uh, at the end of verse 19, it says, There remained not one locust in the territory of Egypt. Not one. They couldn't get to the point where they were breathing without locusts probably flying into their mouths, right? Now every single one of them is gone. Remember with the frogs, though? Like, they were all dead, and they had to be, like, like shoveled into heaps and all those things. God just removed all of these. He has the power to take that judgment and, and control it by his word, shoves them all out to the Red Sea, which we know is very significant to, uh, to Egypt, that uh, you know they were going to be let out and they were going to die out there. So there remained not one, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, just think of how God works. There wasn't one little part of what he uh, had done left undone. You know, when, when he told them all, when he changed that west that, that wind to a westerly wind and, and blew them out of there, they were all gone at his command. Literally from the east to the west. Whatever, however you're looking at me, right? So the east to the west, they're gone. They came in from the east, they're gone into the west and not one remained remember where egypt is a picture of sin think of what god can do in our lives that he would drive out whatever it is that's pestering that as we submit to him and, and we in true submission right that that in his mercy he can cast out whatever we're going through and that none of it would be left you know god has the power to do that do we let him do that is usually the question, right? We're like, yeah, you have the power to do that, but I need to hold this back. God has the power to drive every single one of those out of there. And he did. The ninth plague, verse uh, 21. So this is, uh, you know, could be looked at as God's triumph over the sun god, Ra, or some say Ray. 
um, or uh, some call him Horus. But either way, the sun god, the one that they would worship uh, as the sun god. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. Darkness, uh, when you consider darkness that may be felt, I mean, that's that's a deep type of darkness. You know, the darkness um, spiritually, that would be uh, the, the darkness that's uh, experienced uh, as God withdraws himself from somebody or situation. That darkness, right? We, we may have found ourselves in that darkness where it seems like there's no light in our life. And God has left us to the, the barren darkness that we'd never want to experience ever for a long time, right? That should get our attention. That, that darkness, right? So you guys ever used it and you, you probably said it or, or, or no doubt, I know everyone else have heard, um, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Because it's complete black, right? There's complete darkness and I can't see anything. You know, in this situation, there's all blackness and darkness. And then there's that very dim light there. And what does that light represent? Hope, right? That you're not just going to die and that whatever it is. You know, consider spiritually that we could have uh, been there in our lives. There's no greater darkness to experience here on earth than to not have God with us. Uh, that's that's the worst darkness we can ever experience. You know, what what they're going to experience is a physical darkness um, that's that's scary by itself. Um, you know, consider uh, to some degree, I think most of us would be scared of the dark. Right? Ever been out in the woods at night? <laughs> and you hear something and you can't, you don't know what it is. And okay, I'll, I'll share with you. I think I was telling you, um, I might've shared this, but I'm walking my dog, um, on Monday. No, I wouldn't have shared this because it's, it's Wednesday, but walking my dog. And as I'm walking, I see this deer run across the trail and, you know, uh, in front of us. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. There's, you know, uh, you know, this uh, deer running across and, and I've got to hold Coda back cause he wants to go chase the deer. And uh, so I'm like, no, no, and I'm holding him back. But as soon as the deer's kind of gone for a little bit, we're in a trail out in the woods. And and uh, and so I let him go up, and he starts sniffing the trail and everything. Then that uh, that uh, deer, a buck, turns around and starts snorting at us. And I'm like, I got nothing, man. I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt. You know, I'm, I'm in a bad spot. But that's broad daylight. If I would have heard that at night, that's creepy. You know, you hear Corey's ringtone at night. With the pig squealing, you're running. You're gone, right? Things are scarier in the dark, right? It might be creepy to hear that ringtone right here, but you can look and go, oh, okay, there's nothing over there. At night, you're going to run and you're going to hit your face on one of those poles, right? That's happened before with a youth group and some kids run up, ping, and uh, yeah, then we have, we have uh, cushions around those for, for that reason here. But that darkness, that, that, that darkness that can be uh, just overwhelming. So uh, Moses, verse 22, says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Uh, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine just being like, there's light somewhere over there, you know? Just, they're, they're all in their dwellings. But maybe they, like, open a window, like, is there anything? And, well, there's light over there, but we got nothing, you know? And, and for them to look over, imagine Israel looking over and being like, it's complete blackout dark over there, you know? And to experience the blessing of having that light. So there's darkness over the whole land. It's so dark that nobody could see anyone or anything else. It's debil debilitating darkness is what they're experiencing here. Um, that, uh, that spiritually, like I said, could only be experienced in uh, disobeying God's word and God teaching us a lesson and showing us you know, how bad things can be. Uh, you you want to go down the dark road? You go down the dark road and you're going to find there's no hope down there. There's no light. There's no nothing down there. And uh, so they, they experience this, this darkness uh, that's uh, just overwhelming. It's one of those, have you ever been so dark for you? You've been trying to do this, like I can't see the hand in front of my face. Yeah, uh, they experienced that for three full days and couldn't, um, couldn't figure it out. So, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, I might sneeze, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, get away from me, take heed to yourself. And see my face no more. So here's a threat. 
get away from me, watch yourself, and don't come near me anymore. That's what he's saying. I've had it with you guys. And uh, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. That's That had to give him goosebumps. That had to haunt him. You know, you'll never see my face again. I'm sure there was a little bit of relief there. But, you know, overall, like, wait a minute, that seemed too easy. And, uh, you know, God is still judging Egypt for the wickedness that they had shown um, toward Israel, that the pharaohs had done. The pharaoh's uh, heart is has refused to accept the Lord. That hardness of heart is spoken against in the scripture. You know, let that not be said of the Christian. But Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and it's kind of half of, of 8. Uh, is what I'm going to read. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. If we if we just hear God's voice and not harden our hearts, things are going to be so much better for us in our lives. You know, that hardness of heart is is where everything went wrong um, and or, or went extremely bad uh, for Pharaoh. So uh, God isn't done with his purposes. Remember, his purposes here uh, in judging Egypt were to show himself strong and that they, uh, that you may know that I am the Lord and that they may know that uh, the earth is the Lord's. Uh, and there's none like me. So that's those are some of the things that he had said. You know, I'm doing this so that you know that I'm the Lord, that they know that I'm the Lord, and that there's none like me. So God is carrying out his, just because Pharaoh's done with them doesn't mean God's hands are now tied. No, God's done with those nine plagues. The worst one's coming. And the worst one's going to be announced here. We'll have time uh, to get through uh, chapter 11 tonight. Uh, but uh, what we see coming here is is awful. And it's hard to talk about. It's hard to, to think about, you know, how widespread this was and how, how devastating it was. So Pharaoh just being tired of him saying, get out of here or I'm going to kill you and don't let me ever see your face again, doesn't mean that it's all over. Yeah, that's just Pharaoh saying, I've had enough of you. Get out of here or I'm going to take you out. Mark brought that up in the study, right, during one of our studies. He's like, yeah, you know, Pharaoh, it's funny how Pharaoh hadn't got to that point. He's at that point now. He's like, get out of here or I'm going to kill you, right? Verse 1 of Exodus 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from there. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. So uh, just to realize, none of what was happening with Pharaoh kicking them out and uh, what's going to happen next, uh, all of this was still within God's uh, God's control. He's very much in control of what's happening here. Everything's going exactly. Excuse me, exactly according to God's plan. Everything. And uh, God is assuring Moses of that. And, and it's not only that, that it's in control, but he's also orchestrating everything. It's not like spun out of control so much that, that like, God has complete and total control over this and is orchestrating this. Everything. You know, the meetings with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart. All these things. Uh, that, are, that are happening here. God is saying that he's still doing something. And he says, he will drive you out. And we know that militarily that happens, right? The military, all of them, get behind them and are driving them out. And they're scared. They're running. And we know what the Lord does in delivering them as they're being obedient and they're following the Lord. So God is preparing Moses for what what's to come, the next step. Verse 2 says, Speak now in the hearing of all the people and let every man ask his neighbor and uh, and every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver, articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Genesis 15, we've discussed this several times through these plagues, but this is actually where this is coming to pass, right? God is saying, uh, this is going to be when it happens. So, you, you know, this is, this is happening very soon. So you're going to um, go tell the people that this is going to happen. So Genesis 15, all the way back, that promise that God made to Abraham, right? 15 verses 13 and 14. God said to Abraham, then uh, he said to him, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions." 
God keeping his 400-year-old promise, well, even longer than that, but the promise that after 400 years of them being there, they were going to be delivered. I mean, if there, there's, guys, we're never going to find anybody that's more reliable than God. That God can say, hey, this is going to happen. You may not understand it now, but this is going to happen, and that's going to happen for 400 years. Our nation isn't even 400 years. What are we, 250 years old, almost? 400 years. Like, all our, our, the, our existence here in another 150 years, and then this is going to happen. To pinpoint accuracy, right? God said that, that, uh, that they're, you're going to serve them, but then when you go out, you are going to, to come out with great possessions. And that's exactly how uh, God said it was going to happen. You know, his word is worth more of our trust than anything. God's word. Yet why do we second guess it? Why do we question his word, right? Because we're sinners and we don't want to let things go. Or we, you know, something's too precious to us that we, we want to hold on to it. You know, what does the scripture say to us? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All of it, right? Just trust him. And understand that we have to realize he is so trustworthy. When God tells us to trust him, take that and run with it. I mean, that's our guarantee, right? If I hold something in my hand, I can guarantee that I have it, right? It's more like, like this. I'm, I'm holding this water ball. I, I'm 100% sure that I'm holding this. What could happen? My hands could cramp and I could drop this thing, right? I could lose it. But I could, I, I, how much confidence would I place in the fact that I'm holding this? Oh, my hands are getting tired. I'm going to switch my grip. Or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. more. I mean, I can, I can place my trust in like, hey, if I can just hold this for X amount of time, I'm going to you know, win the challenge. Or, and I'll have, I'll have pretty good faith. God supersedes even the faith that we can put in in our ability to do something so minuscule and uh, kind of foolish as that. That God can be trusted for so much, guys. That God, pin, with pinpoint accuracy, told him, this is exactly what's going to happen. How many times do we look at the prophecies within the scriptures and see God, with pinpoint accuracy, nailing it every single time? There isn't one failure in God's prophecy. His ways are higher than ours, and his thoughts higher than ours. Now, God also told Moses in the beginning of all this, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. So he said this to Abram back in, in Genesis 15, but he's also reinforcing this in 21 and 22 of Exodus 3. It says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the, Egyptian and it, and the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely uh, of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God reiterated what was going to happen in Exodus 3. Genesis 15, Genesis, uh, Exodus 3, and then it, it gets put into application here soon. God's still giving, right at this point, Moses um, the instructions to go tell them this. Guys, I skipped a whole page. I skipped uh, verses uh, 24 through 26, didn't I? I apologize. I'm going to back up. Because there's something interesting in there. Verse 24. Uh, so that's embarrassing. But uh, then Pharaoh called uh, to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks... And your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, uh, so this was another time where uh, uh, Pharaoh was trying to uh, manipulate the situation and, and get uh, them to uh, take uh, some sort of, of deal here. Um, 25, but Moses said, you must also uh, give us uh, sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall remain <laughs> may, uh, be left behind. I like that, one hoof, 
right? <laughs> That's hilarious, right? Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must uh, take some of them uh, to serve the Lord our God. And even uh, we do not know uh, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So I just wanted to click, quickly hit this because I believe the Lord gave me this, and it's a powerful thing for us to, to discuss. Pharaoh's once again seemingly willing to allow them to go, but with stipulations, right? He want, He's saying, you can take all the people, but not the flocks and the herds. Deal? How does that sound and everything here? There is a warning there that we should get from there. Do not negotiate with sin. Sin will very much negotiate with us. Okay, let's back up here. Uh, you you don't have to you know I, I, I get you're 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 sick and tired of what's going on. You know, isn't that right? How our, our heart will try to uh, as we we haven't let go of, of the sin, we'll try to try to negotiate, right? We might even do this with the Lord, you know. And and what we see with sin is it will try to hold on in different stages, or uh, you know, it, understand that sin will scratch, kick, and claw to remain. It needs to be there because it wants to reign in our hearts until God comes and delivers us from that sin. You know, there's the, the, the begging and pleading of, no, your life's going to be you know, empty without me. But that's what God calls us to, following him, all or nothing. You're either with me and you're walking with me or you're rejecting me. It's one or the other. You know, we don't want to be brought under the power of anything else. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things, but all things are not helpful. All things are uh, lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Sin brings us under its power. We can't sit there and go, well, yeah, you know, this, that, is this sin? Is it not or anything? Does it bring you under its power? Then it's sin. Right? I remember Greg Laurie doing a study once and he was talking about those gray area things. You know, how do you how do you figure out whether something's a sin? And he goes, uh, will it destroy? Uh, would it cause another to stumble? And there were four of them. I'll bring I'll try to remember all of them, but this was like 15, 20 years ago. It's been a long time. Will it, will it cause another one to stumble if they see you doing that? Will it bring you under its power? And uh, will it give you a, a bad witness amongst other people? And I can't remember the fourth one. Right. But, you know, if you can check yes to any of those things, it shouldn't be in our lives. So then we go to the Lord and say, I need you to take this out. But then our flesh, right? Our flesh likes it, right? That's why we're doing it, right? Because our flesh likes it or we're so bound to it that we can't get away from it. And and uh, we feel like we can't. You know, Romans 6, 14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Once we meet Christ and we're walking in his grace, sin, it, we're no longer bound by it. We can be free. The problem is, is sometimes we like to be, you know, return to that old stuff. Just embrace the freedom and walk with him. Another thing uh, before we move on is we are called to worship uh, God. Now that, that compromise that Pharaoh was asking, you know, Pharaoh's like, hey, can we make a compromise here? No, the way we worship God is how God uh, declares we worship him. We don't get to decide whether, you know, like, well, yeah, I worship God in my own way. No, God is, he's the one being worshiped and he's the one that created us. He makes the rules, right? So, uh, you know, Moses knew that, that uh, no, we're not, we're not doing, we're not playing any of these games. So I greatly apologize that I, uh, that I didn't put that in order. When I when I kind of got here, I, I looked right here, and I, I must have just grabbed the wrong page and put it here. But uh, hopefully that doesn't uh, um, uh, take us too far off of where we're at. So um, if we can get back to Exodus uh, 11 here for us uh, to finish this out here, uh, what we see is God announcing the uh, the plague that is uh, to, to come here. And uh, we understand that there was a plundering that was going to happen to uh, provide for Israel uh, for all of the slavery uh, because they weren't getting paid or anything like that. They're just getting taken advantage of. So God takes care of it for them. And he says, hey, go and, and I'm going to give you favor and those in their eyes because they're just going to be like, yeah, whatever you want. Here, take it and then you can have it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the second half of, of verse 3 of Exodus 11 says, Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So the people knew who Moses was. Uh, who he was and um, they didn't care about the magicians or, or Pharaoh as a, as a great man or anything. They knew that, that Moses was and they feared him. Like 
if you knew somebody just did all these things, we're going to have some sort of fear on them. Right. And so they knew who he was. And, and, uh, uh, just re remember what God said, that they would know that the earth was the Lord's and not Pharaoh's. Pharaoh has been brought to nothing, that all his people aren't fearing him anymore. Uh, they're all fear fearing Moses. Why? Because of what God did through Moses. So we know that Moses wouldn't have accepted any worship from them or anything. Verse 4. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, uh, the Lord, about midnight, I will go into the midst of Israel and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the animals there. And then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as uh, like it. Uh, was not like it before, nor uh, shall be like it again. So Moses is speaking uh, to Pharaoh at this time. He's he's explaining it because we're going to see here at some point that he walks out of Pharaoh's uh, presence. So God told him what to say, and it doesn't just say that Pharaoh, Moses went in and um, and uh, and and just said this to them. But the Lord is speaking to Moses, and then uh, and then we, we, what we'll see here is that he's actually saying these things uh, to Pharaoh also. So uh, that there is going to be a sorrow. Uh, beyond comprehension coming. The firstborn uh, of all uh, is going to die, and that's on its way. You know, why the firstborn? You know, what, what, what's so significant? But if you consider what Israel has been through at the hands of, of, of uh, Egypt, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Egypt tried to kill uh, uh, tried to kill Egypt tried to kill um, and uh, uh, and oppressed uh, his firstborn, right? And that's that's what happens here. Tried to kill their sons. So it was the firstborns, right? Where, where uh, Israel was considered God's firstborn. That's what he's saying. You you tried to uh, tried to kill um, my people, Israel, my son, my firstborn. Egypt tried to kill, uh, and uh, when you consider uh, the oppression that they dealt with. So it's a hard thing to think of. It really is that the firstborn of even the handmaid that's working there. But this is a judgment being poured out on Egypt for the evil that they committed against Israel. So this is something between uh, anybody who, who might stumble at this and God. You can just say, we'll just talk to God about it. But we know God already declared that this is a judgment being poured out on them. And what did they do? They murdered their babies, right? They're drowning their babies. That's awful, and this is God. Uh, you know, they're 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 having to uh, pay the penalty of of the sins against Israel. Verse seven. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against a man or a beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out. And all of the people shall follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So he's 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 talking with Pharaoh. There's there's the discussion here, and uh, we don't. I mean, they were. He was already told to leave. Um, I, we don't have the circumstances that he how he delivered this to him. But it says then he went out from uh, from him in anger. Um, I did hear it uh, just that. Some believe that as people were, were dividing up the chapters and everything, that this might have actually been a mistake for them, that they should have just left it attached there. So it made more sense rather than putting it into a different chapter in there. But, uh, but regardless, uh, we, we know that what is being said here is God judging uh, Egypt, but sparing his people as he does. He's done it throughout all the scriptures, right? That's why Calvary Chapel has the stance of pre-tribulation rapture. Because God doesn't pour out his wrath uh, on his children. He pours out his, on his wrath on the disobedient, those who are, uh, are disobedient and not in right standing with him. That's why we have that. So when we see his wrath, his judgments being poured out upon these people, and he's separating them, and what, like he just said here, that it's not going to happen to Israel. There's a separation between uh, the people of uh, the, the Egyptians and, uh, and Israel. 
the verse 9. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Egypt, uh, before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So um, getting into, I, I, I almost put this into next week's study, but next week is where this all starts. So I kind of wanted to get to, hey, this is where we're getting to next week. So what we've just covered is God judging Egypt. He's continuing to and shows his triumph um, uh, over Osiris and Ra and uh, the hardness of heart that it's deadly to the soul. And God is preparing Israel for its exodus. Uh, from Egypt. So, hey, go, you're going to go and you're going to get all these things. So God is starting to get the mindset to switch to, hey, the worst is coming. This is what your your next uh, orders are going to be. And he's also forewarning Egypt of what is going to come. Remember, God said, vengeance is mine, right? So if, if there are battles, there are things that need to be taken care of. I encourage you, don't go try to like and get in someone's face and go, see, he told you, ha ha. Right. We shouldn't we shouldn't rejoice in that. We should say, hey, we tried to talk about this, didn't we? And I tried to warn you about this. You know, would you turn to the Lord with me now instead of rubbing it in people's faces? Right. You know, that's always a, a prideful thing that we shouldn't do. You know, the Lord will repay. And God is just reminding them that his wonders would be multiplied in the land of Egypt as these things were all happening. So we covered a lot. I, again, I apologize that I uh, um, that I kind of missed those verses, but we covered them. So we got a check mark there for uh, chapter nine, so or ten, whatever chapter or ten, ten. So let's pray, Father. We are grateful for your word, and uh, we pray that we would apply what we have, uh, that we remember it, uh, that we would grow from it, and uh, that we would be obedient to you and learn. Uh, God, we want your blessings. We don't want your your judgments or or those those uh, harsh corrections. Lord, help us to grow in our faith that we wouldn't need them, uh, but that we would just be obedient and follow you and trust you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.